Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and welcome to Games on Film. Yes, we're back. And also, who's back? Eurobowl's back. Back with Far Cry, our film for today. So Far Cry New Dawn is now out. It's the one after Far Cry 5, but how are we counting these now? Is it, it's, not, it's not technically Far Cry 6? I think it, it's a spin-off that picks up from the events of Far Cry hmm. 5. I've not played Far Cry 5. I'm aware of how it ends. So shall we just say spoilers for the entire Far Cry franchise, including the film we're doing today? Yeah, let's do that let's up front. Let's be safe. So no one sent an email saying, I've not yet played Far Cry Vengeance on the Wii. So I'm sorry, you're going to get spoiled. Just stop and play Far Cry Vengeance on the Wii. Although apparently that is probably one of the worst of the franchise, isn't it? So what is your experience of Far Cry then? I didn't really play any of the Far Cry games up until Far Cry 3. So this film, the Uwe Boll film, is, draws from the first of the Far Cry mm. games. But I didn't play until Far Cry 3. As, as far as I understand it in the series, Far Cry 1 was well-liked, it was well-regarded, but it didn't really have much mainstream success. It wasn't a huge kind of breakthrough smash. I remember when this film came out, Far Cry, and I was I was surprised that they were going for a film that at that time they'd, they'd only been, they'd gone through a game where there'd only been one entry. Mm. And the film came out in 2008 and Far Cry 2 came out in 2008. So yeah, I, I think the bulk of maybe all our listeners' experience of Far Cry is going to be with what came after Far Cry 3. Far Cry, yeah, the first one came out in 2004. Mm. I remember seeing the bots and seeing a rather kind of generic-looking action man, G.I. Joe-style person emerging from some beautiful azure, crystal-clear water yeah, with I... big explosions in the background, and I kind of thought it looks pretty generic. Yeah, super-duper generic. It's funny, I've been thinking about a lot of these um, franchises we've been working on. Uh, working on? Gosh, <laughs> yeah, because this podcast does work sometimes. I've been looking at the Wikipedia entries for a lot of these video games, and sometimes games I deem to have a fairly mixed response actually end up having... Uh, they say they're very positively received. And yes, apparently Far Cry 1 was very positively received. But I think that's because it was released initially on PC. And we were not really PC kids. We were more consoles. And the console versions, and therefore the reviews we paid attention to, were were kind of lesser, viewed lesser, really. And Far Cry 2 in 2008, I think that was the first one to be sort of more open world. I think Far Cry 1 had very large levels, but they were still broken up. And Far Cry 2 and then 3 was the game changer, really, where you got Fool Island to play around at any sort of point that you fancy. 
I, it, it was quite easy to ignore Far Cry 1 and 2 when they came out. I didn't... The ripples of the Far Cry franchise didn't reach me until Far Cry 3, mm. even though it does seem that Far Cry 2 has quite a dedicated following. In, in, mm. in many ways, diehard fans of the series cite that as their favourite. But Far Cry 3 was definitely the big breakthrough for the series because of the open-world nature. It seemed like the technology... You know, the the hardware had reached a point to allow for the proper open world feel, the vast expanse mm. of the uh, play area that you had. You Think- were on a kind of uh, tropical island paradise, but there was rebel fighting factions and you kind of got caught up in the middle of that. And uh, the point of it was that it was like, rather than your traditional first person shooter, where you have set levels and... I think in the very early days of the of the genre, it was very much called a corridor shooter. Yeah. And the idea now was that you have this expanded world. You had a plot and a story and chapters to follow, but you also had a lot of side quests. You had submissions, and really the action could start and stop in different mm. places. You know, you could be walking down a road, and then suddenly guards and trucks sort of in, intercept you and start shooting at you or you could be walking past an outpost and you think oh okay maybe i'll try and take over that outpost mm. or like a, a wife could say please please find my husband <laughs> i think he's being murdered and then you get distracted for a couple of hours trying to find a i don't know a, shooting lots of animals shooting lots of endangered species yeah. that was far more important yeah so it was a yeah big mix of stuff and so I played that. I really enjoyed that. I played the spin-off from that Blood Dragon, mm. which was the 80s synth wave, retro wave. Mm. That was the first one I played, actually. Okay. Because that was I downloaded that, and you tell me, if you like that, Harry, you would love Far Cry 3. It's like an action movie. And I was like, oh, that sounds really good. And yes, I've played that now, I think, twice, and I really enjoyed it. As much as we'd like to talk about films based on uh, Far Cry 3 and beyond. Um, This film is based on the very first iteration. I I did play Far Cry 4. Mm -hmm. By that point, I'd gotten a little bit bored. I wasn't so enamoured with the setting and the characters as I was with Far Cry 3. And it sort of ran out of steam for me before the end of the game. And I did play a demo of Far Cry 5 at... EGX at a game show and I, I kind of enjoyed it but I sort of felt like I didn't really need like a big collectomania style game where you have a big open map and you're just going A to B to kill C and D and pick up E and F. What's the expression? Because I've heard it. There's a lot of collect them up. Yeah, maybe. Like Donkey Kong 64. Very much like Donkey Kong 64. But with more murders. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure that uh, Donkey Kong has some crumbling skeletons in his closet. Yeah. I mean, have you ever, ever tried to take bananas off a gorilla? They don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> they really don't. Rip your arms out your sockets. Mm. The reviews of Far Cry New Dawn have just about come out. And the ones I've read, maybe not all of them, but the ones I've read do seem to hint at franchise fatigue. I mean, all credit to Ubisoft. They have tried to mix things up a little bit. They had Far Cry Primal, where it was all caveman days. And yeah. Caveman days? Yeah. Like the Flintstones. (laughs) What's that from? Everybody wants to be a cat. exactly, yes. 
But yeah, I, I, I agree. There's probably a little bit of franchise fatigue and I wonder if it's time that they took a little bit of a step back and maybe maybe return to the first game and see where it all kicked off and, and maybe learn from some, you know, previous entries. I mean, what's really funny, though, in researching the first game, I thought we've picked a film based on one game. This is going to be a piece of cake. And then I looked. There was loads of little spin-offs before Far Cry 2, and it did. It was a little bit diff- tricky to, to differentiate. And I, I mentioned earlier Far Cry 1 in 2004... Then right afterwards, in 2005, there was something called, I think, Far Cry Instincts. And then there was Instincts Evolution on the Xbox. And then Instincts Predator, which I think was in the Xbox 360s, which was basically Evolution and Instincts wrapped up into one, all HD. And then that was the Far Cry Vengeance that I mentioned earlier. So all these games came out between 2004, 2006 and... Ubisoft, who you mentioned, they only jumped in when it came to Far Cry 2. So we get no uh, Ubisoft logo at the start of this film. Yeah, do you want to know why? Why is that? Well, I was doing a little bit of research and some interviews with Uwe Boll. Uwe Boll and Uwe Soft. <laughs> it turns out Uwe Boll didn't really speak to Ubisoft about making a Far Cry movie. He says, I know only that Ubisoft was pissed because I bought the movie rights very early directly from the developers, Crytek. Mm. Because Crytek is a German company. Yes. So basically, he went and bought the movie rights before Ubisoft could do anything about it. And they don't really like the fact that a Far Cry movie was made by him through... I mean, you know, it's amazing conversations with Crytek instead. It's amazing the brand survived. Yeah, I mean, because Crytek developed the f- first game and then Ubisoft took the franchise over mm. and made everything instead um, in-house subsequently. I don't know whether Ubi- Uwe Boll has anything to do <laughs> with that. But um, yeah, it doesn't look like there was um, much love lost between too. I mean, I was reading up about a bit of trivia regarding the first Far Cry game, and as you mentioned, it's a German production studio, but they also the German censorship laws regarding first-person shooters gave Far Cry um, a bit of grief because it had realistic ragdoll physics as one of its selling points, and the, the German censors found it um, not cool that the the death looked so realistic, and I've not seen any footage, but I read that the ragdoll physics were removed from Far Cry when it was eventually released. So I like to imagine that the body just stand rigid and like fall over like planks of woods. I, I feel like with the deal that Uwe Boll struck with Crytek, it reminds me a little bit of Marvel's approach to its properties in a cinematic form prior to them making their own movies. It does kind of smack a little bit of their early Fantastic Four and Captain America movies, which you know, barely saw mm. the light of day and, you know, Uwe Boll kind of swooping in and grabbing all these big name properties and much to the chagrin maybe of the people who actually, if you look at what Ube's, Ube, Ube, <laughs> I'm getting very confused with Uwe and Ubi. If you look at what Ubisoft has done recently, I mean, even with Far Cry 5, they had like very cinematic trailers and, mm. and stuff. They clearly have designs of cinematic storytelling within video games so maybe they will return to Far Cry once 
I don't, I don't know what the situation is with the rights at the moment. I get excited seeing the box with the actual Far Cry logo on because um, I feel that a lot of the video game movies we do, they don't take the iconic logo from these game series and, and fit them into the film. But Maybe it's a copyright issue. They have the copyright to make the film, film mm. but they might not have the copyright over the font or text mm. used. But here in the credits, boy howdy, do you see the Far Cry font in ways which kind of make some names look a little bit odd because clearly it's only meant to spell the letters F-A-R-C and Y. It's like when you start seeing people write full sentences with the Star Wars font. Yeah. And you think, yeah, it's not designed for a U, is it? <laughs> or something. I guess the only other thing to say, I, again, I, I like to check Uabol's Twitter feed. And um, I think the last tweet I saw of his was... Let's have a look. He writes, My hand is all sizzling now from the alien's pussy acid. Maybe he's directly quoting from something HRD just said, because Maybe. it sounds like something he might might have done. Anyway, so I've got the DVD here, and with the lovely Far Cry logo on it, uh, it's rated 18 for strong violence and gore. The long-awaited adaptation of the hugely popular first-person shooter game in which Jack Carver, a retired Special Forces officer, is now a contractor for hire. Set on an island in the Pacific Northwest. It's filmed in Canada, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The, the game set in a tropical island, and this is absolutely not... Not tropical. Not tropical. Uh, set on an island in the Pacific Northwest, populated by strangely mutated creatures. I'm assuming not Canadians, that's very unfair. Far Cry sees Carver transporting a top reporter to the lair of a private and secret science research facility guarded by brutal mercenaries and it says starring Till Schweiger already dead Lara Croft and Inglorious Bastards sorry not Till Schweiger already dead <laughs> the late Till Schweiger the late, stars the late Till Schweiger <laughs> in his, the, the first, his first film since he passed away it also mentions yeah from Lara Croft he's not from Lara Croft he's from Lara Croft Cradle of Life or is it Lara Croft Tomb Raider the Cradle of Life yeah gosh, gosh. and he's not from the twenty. 18 Lara Croft movie. They need to really specify. Um, it also stars Michael Paré from Blood Rain and directed by Uwe Boll. This is Jack Carver in a good mood. She was dead. She soon will be. You are one persistent son of a bitch. Till Schweiger. Look out! What's going on down there? Don't 
I mean, I must say, I was really excited to watch this film because Till Schweiger looks like a video game character. He looks like a, a brick shit house, and I, I just don't know why. I mean, despite the fact that I, we've seen two Urbol films so far, one I genuinely enjoyed, House of the Dead, one I was kind of so-so with, Alone in the Dark. But despite all that, I was just excited that we we're going to see this guy. In a movie. Till Schweiger. Till Schweiger. Well, my fiancé is German mm -hmm. and kind of thinks that Till Schweiger is a dumbass. Because apparently he's a bit of an idiot in interviews. And actually... <laughs> he doesn't come across like that in the film. <laughs> and actually, like, he's known more in Germany for, like, romantic comedies and, and <laughs> stuff like that than gruff action movies. I mean, he's probably best known internationally for Inglorious Bastards. Mm. You know, he's still doing big international movies. He was in Atomic Blonde recently. Uh -huh. He was, of course, in Paul W.S. Anderson, friend of the show's The Three Musketeers. I see. And the aforementioned Tomb Raider, the Cradle, oh. Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. It's so. such a shame we'll never do Three Musketeers. <laughs> Maybe a special spin-off. Maybe a special. I had no idea he was, in, he was doing romantic comedies because the romantic comedy stuff in this is just... It's pure gold. Um, <laughs> but you were telling me you got some production notes. Well, there was just... I, I decided to look up a few interviews with Uwe Boll around about the time or, or after the production of Far Cry just to get an idea of his, of his thoughts and opinions about the movie. Unfortunately, the DVD didn't have a commentary or special features or even subtitles, which made <sighs> identifying the names of certain characters a little bit tricky. So just uh, a few little quotes from Uwe Boll to get us in the idea of what he was aiming for. His headspace. His headspace. What's that was... show called, is it, when they interview like an actor? Oh, Inside the Actor's Studio or something? <laughs> so inside the Director's Studio, Uwe Boll. He says that um, Far Cry is an action movie that is fun to watch, but there's no extra dimension or political message in Far Cry. I had two things that made it fun to work on. Firstly, I learnt from the mistakes of my other movies. I couldn't afford another Tara Reid in this movie. Okay. Oh, nice. And I think the story of Far Cry and the character of Jack Carver is just a great setup. So we could really use what we had from the game and we could follow the game's story very closely. These things made me believe in the project and very happy with the end result. There are There is the potential with mm -hmm. the idea of, as the Battle of the Bots mentions, kind of genetically engineered mutants and super soldiers and stuff, mm. for there to be some sort of political message. Doesn't really explore that, and he's fine with that. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that from the film, but he's clearly fine with not indulging any I... kind of, you know, is this right, is this wrong? Mm. I mean, it's just kind of like, eh, they're mean, so let's just... Uh, you know, they're the bad guys. I mean, I've heard some film critics talk about how no matter what the subject of a film, the, whenever a film is made, it is influenced by the world in which it was made in. And therefore, all films at some level are political. But Uwe Boll is like, no, <laughs> no <laughs> politics. 
Well, I don't know. We haven't seen Postal yet. I think that's his oh, stab at political That's the one when, when George Bush, George W. Bush is shaking hands with Osama bin Laden on the front of the box. When we were deciding to do Far Cry, not just because of the release of New Dawn, but we were like, oh, we should probably do just a straightforward action movie. Mm. We hadn't played the first Far Cry game, no. but we just assumed, like the others, because each of the Far Cry games, apart from you know the spin-offs, but the number titles are distinct they're separate you play as a different character in a different location mm. but the ones that we had encountered were fairly ordinary i mean there's some kind of mysticism sometimes there's hallucinogenic sequences well, you, s- you sold far cry 3 to me pieces. as you said far cry 3 is like being in an action movie yeah and you are 100 percent correct i felt like rambo and you could go in with your bow and arrow and silently take people out or you can wait for a tiger to attack the people for some reason. But yeah, absolutely an action movie. So yes, another reason why I was excited was not just because of uh, Till. It was because um, this was going to be not Resident Evil, which is a survival horror turned into a horror action film. It wasn't going to be like Prince of Persia, Assassin's Creed, they're action adventure movies. Need for Speed is, is a rom-com. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Fast and Furious genre movie. Yeah, we were looking for a film where it was just like people with guns and Mm. explosions. Then I read about the mutants in (laughs) Far Cry 1. I think, are they called Trigens? Yeah. Trigens. Yeah, there's kind of like different kinds of Trigens. So there's ones where it is like genetically engineered super soldiers, kind of like, I guess, the baddies and doom which have been like zombified mm, and i mean stuff. i was looking at uh, the far cry wiki and for a minute i thought i was looking at a quake 2 page yeah they are full of pipes coming out of their arms it's like oh but i can then, see i can see why we were bold in this film <laughs> but then there's also just genuine gribbly monsters as well it's like you said gribbly again yeah. this is like your word gribbly gribbly is a good kind of description it's for like what the they cross are. between gross and dribbly i imagine yeah you can imagine mm. they're wet to the touch <laughs> mm, lovely uh, i mean in terms of uwe boll's approach he says that i think it's 70 percent action and 30 percent horror the action sequences were heavy and especially the car and boat chase are on james bond level so which well there's some romance in there so does he count that as action or horror um <laughs> I'm not sure, but he says that it's like a mini James Bond with more fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that's his that's his approach. So clearly, you know, it's it, it is an action movie, that's for sure. And he he talks a little bit like it's more a straightforward action, Die Hard with humor on an island. It's like he's not seen a Bond film or Die Hard. They have, <laughs> what makes Die Hard Die Hard is that it takes something which could be incredibly po-faced. And turns and and gives it humour. Yep. Interestingly, those interviews I find quite interesting because I might I would actually agree with a few things he said there. This film, I feel he has learnt from his earlier works. This is um we've skipped ahead. We were going to perhaps do uh, Uwebol's oeuvre, oeuvre, <laughs> his oeuvre chronologically, but it was too tempting to do Far Cry now. But yeah, this film. This looks just a bit slicker, I think. Yeah, it um, definitely seems like a step up from what has come before, just in terms of the basics. 
as we said, not I've not played Far Cry 1, but I've watched a lot of videos of Far Cry 1, doing my best to avoid the hilarious commentary from some people when they are... Let's playing. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, I know you're listening to a podcast, but these people, shut up. They just throw them in the pit with all the people who do unboxing videos. Hate them. But yeah, I've watched some videos and I've read the entire wiki entry on the Far Cry wiki for Far Cry 1. And more so than Alone of the Dark, more so than House of the Dead, this film sticks pretty closely to the plot of Far Cry 1. Okay. Not beat for beat, there are some important differences. But some of the key beats of the game are featured in this. The Far Cry game starts with your boat being destroyed by a bazooka after you drop off a vow on an island. Drop off a what? Vow. Okay. The theme. Drop off. It sounds like you said drop off a vowel, like drop off a consonant. <laughs> a vowel. Yes. Later on, mutants do escape in the in the game and the film. Okay. So it's not just character names. You've done a lot of films where it's like the character names are present, but not much of the story. Or barely, as in the case of House of the Dead, where the character names from the game are only announced in the closing seconds of the movie. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we, we've still got House of the Dead 2 to look forward to. Yeah. Well, a quote from Uwe Boll on that. I think it's my best adaptation of a video game in regards of a truthful translation film to game. The Far Cry story is so good that I could follow the game story in the movie one-to-one. I mean, crucially, one big difference is Val, in this film, she's a reporter. In Far Cry 1, she is prete- in the game, she is pretending to be a reporter. She turns out to be a CIA agent okay. undercover and is therefore, I guess, equally handy in a fight. Right. In this one, she different. So that's sort of one element which is where the story is changed. Yes. Okay. But in terms of the rest of the story as depicted in the film... It follows the, follows the general arc, okay. I think. Mm. Okay. That's interesting So, to I know. mean, I guess to, to the point that the end of the film, which we'll get to later on, of course, uh, the end of the game, I think, ends with a, a tactical nuke going off. And I got to a place where I thought, are they going to set off a nuke? That doesn't quite happen. Um, you realise they don't have nuclear weapon budget on this movie. It's funny when you look at a film with this sort of a budget. It's still, I think it's a little bit more than what we usually get with Uwe Boll, or at least looks a little bit more. But there's certain times when the camera cuts away to avoid a grisly death effect or an ex- a car crash effect. And you think, yeah, that saves, that saves you like a couple of hundred grand or something. I wonder whether part of that was also the fact that in another interview he was asked, the first person shooter Far Cry plays on a tropical island. Would you not rather have filmed in a jungle paradise? Because <laughs> Far Cry does take place in tropical climes. And Bolvar says, on the islands of Canada, jungle is growing. <laughs> Sounds you know. a bit of a cop out. He says, in addition, we were able to turn the car and boat chases there controlled. That would not have been possible in the jungle. I think it's just cheaper to film in Canada because yeah. a lot of the shots of boats and islands in this film are very reminiscent of his work on House of the Dead. Lots yes. of swooping shots of boats and ADR um, replacing dialogue as boats just chug along the water. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Tim Hortons and Poutine out in Canada, so I'll, just, I'll jump at the chance. 
uh, to film there. In James Bond fashion, yeah. we are treated to a pre-title sequence, I suppose. Yeah. Now that you saying that makes me really want to have an Urbol directed James Bond title sequence of dancing zombies and. Do you think that when they hired Danny Boyle and he left mm-hmm. due to creative differences, do you think they meant to hire Bol? And they still <laughs> boil in the director's <sighs> yellow pages. Well, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we might be talking about James Bond a lot here. I suppose because they're both action mainstays, but also we the talk music. about James Bond a lot every episode because um, I'm obsessed with James Bond. <laughs> yeah. And um, but also the music and the action at the end is incredibly James Bond. It's got the dun, 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 to the point. Where it was like, how do you get away with this? Hmm. But yes, a pre-title sequence, a little bit of action, a little bit of a taste of what to expect, sort of. Yeah, it starts with some troops in a forest. We're not sure exactly what they're doing and why they're there. Tropical forest. In a a tropical Canadian forest. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit worried at the start of this film because this looked like just another night shoot action sequence where you couldn't really see very much. The only thing... We do see of the monster is its point of view. Um, I don't really say this is a mercenary being attacked by a monster, isn't it? Yeah, I thought that maybe they were invisible because mm. it did seem like, you know, they were being attacked from all angles and we couldn't see anything. Mm. And I thought, oh, maybe it's alone in the dark all over again. Yeah, I did see their point of view, which looked kind of like a, like a digitally robot point of view with heavy breathing like it was an um like an overweight robocop <laughs> um, going, <gasps> robocop like donuts <laughs> and as i said earlier you don't get to see anyone die but you see the aftermath you see a lot of gru coming out of people one guy makes it to a perimeter fence mm-hmm. and tries to get help and let into the facility, but alas, doesn't make it. And the aftermath. Why is... do you say? Sorry, why do you say alas? Were you really hoping for him? I I, I wish <laughs> that no one no one should die unnecessarily. Uh-huh. Everyone should have a fair shot at life. Nobody feels bad for the family of a henchman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he doesn't make it, and you get a. I don't think I'd seen something quite like this in a movie before. It's a pretty grisly end where it seems like he's been pushed halfway through the chain link It's like mesh, isn't it? Yeah, it it looks very flimsy. So I guess it's kind of like he's been cheese wired Mm. partially through it. And the back of his head is like... Segregated, separated. Yeah. Yeah, I think with... Gore effects in Uribol films, there seems to always be one which is like, ooh, that is really nasty. And they put that one right at the start. Yeah, pay close attention to the film now because I'm going to throw something disgusting your way. Yeah, and it is funny, you don't often get an action movie with these little horrific... Bloody violence. I mean, this I, is thirty percent horror. It is thirty percent. So that, that was a that was ten percent of it. Ten percent of the thirty overall that yeah. we'll get. I mean, they do shout towards the end of the film. Go for the eyes and the mouths of these uh, bulletproof baddies, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we get see a few eyes getting popped. Yeah, no good. mouths. No one gets shot in the mouth. No, that would have been good though. 
But by the old toys, unless you get a singing mutant going, la, 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 la. <laughs> it's still worth a try. Still worth yeah. a shot. You might see some teeth explode everywhere. Worth a shot. Yeah. Indeed. Who's watching the pre-title sequence though, via CCTV? We are introduced to the uber villain mm-hmm. of the piece, Dr. Krieger, played by the inimitable Udo Kier. Yeah, Udo Kier. And he's going to show up a few times, I think. Uh, I had a look at his uh, resume. He's also in Uebol's uh, Blood Rain. He's also in... I really want to see this film. It is called... Uh, Beethoven's Treasure Tale. <laughs> <laughs> but I, he's been in, what, Blade? He's been in... He was in the in, original Suspiria. In the original Suspiria. I first saw him in Lars von Trier's The Kingdom, where he played just this ginormous mutant baby monster. Um, okay. If you've not seen The Kingdom, it's basically a serious version of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, but shot about a decade before... Udo Kier, I just remember him going, Mama, 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 with spindly legs and covered in like KY jelly and stuff. Fucked me up. But I think with Udo Kier is, he appears in absolutely everything and it doesn't matter like budgets, big big or small, directors want him because he just adds like... Oh, he brings something. He adds like an extra level of gravitas, but also slight eccentricity and weirdness and he is the perfect mad scientist mad scientist i mean yeah he i uh, really enjoyed his performance he was my favorite thing probably in this and um, and to use the bond connection he does have some juicy bond villain lines as mm. well and he, you know he's really getting it's not like the most ostentatious performance but he's got this very deadpan delivery which really sells yeah sells he gives the role it, he gives it his menacing his his, his menacing all but uh yeah we, we first see him watching his um all the soldiers get destroyed and they were clearly the destroying of the soldiers was a test yes of his um experiment so i get again i've not played the game but i certainly got the impression that you learn you you get deeper into the mystery as the Game goes on, but here we know right away there are scientists on an island which are doing weird shite. Then we see the lovely title, Far Cry, in that logo that I love so much. Yeah. And uh, this is when we get introduced to our, our, our protagonist, Jack Carver, who is described on his Wikipedia page as an American. Clearly not here. Weirdly, on the Far Cry wiki, it says that he was born in 1985... And he is 45 years old. Um, and you were born in 1985. And um, you were I not... I am less than 45 years old. So I feel that maybe... Is Far Cry set in the future then? To allow for all the Ooh, technology and stuff? That might be why. Hmm. I'm trying to think if the film Far Cry has any futuristic technology in it. Mm, no, nobody uses like a holographic communicator at any point. There is one point where Dr. Krieger says you won't find a more technically advanced facility anywhere in the world. But mm. I think that largely equates to big metal doors. Yes, it didn't seem so advanced. It didn't seem more technologically advanced than your average hospital slash maximum security prison. Well, I don't know how well travelled he is. Maybe he thinks 
It's the most technically it's the most advanced technically advanced facility in all of Canada. <laughs> exactly. But you know, side note, I am very sick of holographic screens in films being shorthand now for just futuristic looking technology. It annoys me loads and I would very much like films this is a point of interest. Any more films now, just go back to flat screens. They're fine. Yeah. You don't need to holographically move a, a block from left to right. I I say, I remember the first time I saw this was in, I think, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, which we'll get to. And then it showed up in Minority Report and then it just, just wouldn't stop. I feel like we've, we've drifted <laughs> off from the subject. But speaking of drifting, uh, Jack Carver, he has a boat. Yes, the Medusa, which I think is the name of the boat in the oh. games. At least in the opening cutscene, there's mm. Medusa floating yes. on a plank when his boat is destroyed. But he's also wearing his signature Hawaiian shirt. Yep. Yeah, red I, Hawaiian shirt. I very much appreciated his iconic red shirt. Doesn't really fit within this big Canadian lake that he's in. Well, it's funny, they're looking for whales. And again, I don't know enough about... Whales, whales the animal. Yes. No, if they're, they're looking for whales in Canada, they're, they're <laughs> very far away. They are far away. So Till Schweiger, mm-hmm. who is a German man. and A German. He is a German. And when asked about working with German actors, Uwe Boll said of Till Schweiger, he was very complimentary. He said he can kick ass and he's good with weapons. He was actually a German army sniper. Mm. So I felt very confident about working with him. He was super fit and professional, better than Jason Statham. <laughs> has he worked with Jason Statham? In the name of the Kane, a Dungeon Siege oh, tale. Yes, of course baby. he has. Well, maybe Jason Statham was just incredibly unprofessional. And finally, on Till Schweiger, when asked about any entertaining stories that was on set... Oh dear. Uwe Boll said... Pretty funny was that moment where Till was training with a rope on set and stretched that rope around a stick and walked backwards till it broke and snapped in his ribs and broke one. <laughs> Has Till Schweiger been in any other subsequent Uwe Boll movies? Well, I don't sounds think like so. he was crippled. <laughs> it sounds like. I mean, maybe that's why later on in the film mm. they make it so he is like shot in the belly because he probably did actually hurt himself and we have to explain away why this character suddenly has to clasp the side of his ribs. But you describing that didn't sound like it was particularly damaging to him. He said he broke a rib. Oh, right, yeah. Well, you know, we know that Robin Shue in Mortal Kombat broke multiple ribs every fight, so... Gotta be tough to work Mm. in a video game movie. Or have some spare ribs. So they're looking for whales in a boat, and um, who are the name of these characters? Well, one is, we know his... One of the characters looking for a whale is called George. George, you said there's going to be whales. There's some really out there characters in this film. Yeah. Sitcom level. They've tumbled out of a terrible sitcom into this boat. What I couldn't understand about this couple who are whale watching, the guy asks Till Schweider, Jack Carver. It's easy like, to say. He says, what's that accent? Mm-hmm. But the guy who's asking that, that's not a real accent, is it? I don't know where he's from, but it's like the worst 
trying to be American、oh. or Canadian. I, I mean, forgive me. Maybe he is from one of these places, but it's just like <laughs> one of these、hey. weird places we only hear about on news. But he just says, "Hey there, where are you from?" I don't know. Sometimes someone's actual accent sounds ridiculous. I watched、um, The Conjuring Two the other day, which is an American horror movie set in the UK. So everyone has got ext- extremely Britishy accent, and they talk about biscuits a lot. Okay. It took me a while. For my brain to click, that yeah, no, they actually sounded like that. We're all right, Jack. Take us back. But George, what about the whales? You want to see a damn whale? You drive the boat. George. Your idea. Oh, this was not my idea. You blame everything on me. You're the one who bought all that picture book stuff for the whales on it for Christmas. You gave it to me, but、oh. you wanted it for yourself. You blame everything on me. You couldn't stop talking about the whale. You were the one who made us sign up for Greenpeace. But yes, George and his misses, and they're not finding any whales. It would be interesting if there was literally no whales in this lake. But Jack Carver was doing whale sites like every single day, just charging people. Just like, <laughs> yeah, sure, three hours, you'll see some whales. Ah,、like, oh, they're just busy resting today, I guess. It's like the fire festival, all on promises, but. <laughs> I was thinking more Loch Ness,、oh. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe I don't know how much he's charging for these boat rides. Maybe it's like fifty thousand pounds <laughs> for a boat ride, three-hour boat ride. But I feel like at the same time, somewhere on the same lake, we have the captain from House of the Dead、yeah. taking impressionable teens to zombie rave parties on a completely different island. I mean, he drops the line that nobody goes to this particular island. Everyone knows to avoid it, and maybe that's because it's a zombie dance island. <laughs> I kind of found、um, Till Schweiger kind of amusing in a sort of early Jean Claude Van Damme sort of a way. Yeah,、uh, there is some genuinely funny humour in this, but it comes and fits and starts. And his banter with the pair of whale watchers on the boat. Was a little bit com- confusing and went nowhere. We cut to, I think, the newspaper office. Val is here. Val Cardinal and, v- and Val's appear in the other games. I、um, I don't have the name of her、uh, in her surname in. I think I,、uh, there's Valerie Constantine. That's the one. And then in the in another game, there's a Val Cortez. Okay. Which I know it's a connection with Spy Kids, I suppose. But she's got a different name here. And as I said in the. First game, she turns out to be a spy, but here she's got a vested interest in this mysterious island because her uncle Max happens to be a henchman on the island. Yeah, so she's explaining to, I guess, her editor, who is played by Michael Paré, who appears on the back of the box. Oh, and yet he's in this for one scene. Wow, is he is he kind of famous? Well. He was in Streets of Fire in the eighties, but he kind of has since then mainly just appears in Uwe Boll movies. I see. He's in Blood Rain one, two, and three. And、oh, sorry, I had no idea there that many Blood Rain movies. We've got three Blood Rain movies to get through. Yes. Triple Bill. No. No. And he's in Alone in the Dark too. But yeah, somehow he made it onto the back of the box despite being. Fairly useful in went, this film. He went over to a bowl's laptop and just edited it just before he sent it off to the printers. 
Yeah, so Valerie is explaining why she needs to go to the island. Apparently there's no official military installation on this island. But she also says Krieger is known to experiment on genetical modification on humans. <laughs> like, everyone's cool with that. I know. I mean, you know, people move to islands to avoid tax, usually. Um, <laughs> but he's there. Everyone's aware he's playing God on an island and, and no one's gone to investigate. Yeah, it would be just like, oh, that Dr. Moreau, it's okay he's making human-animal crossbreeds. Mm. We don't care. That's Everyone knows he makes these twisted hybrid abominations. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the island, we cut back to the island where a Dr. Krieger is giving a demonstration to the general from uh, Stargate SG-1. Yes. Who's also in uh, Twin Peaks. Yes, as Major Briggs. Just going back to Valerie, yeah. Uncle Matt's who we've been introduced to previously. He is played by Ralph Muller. Do you think he describes himself as a henchman? Yes, that's how he got the job. He <laughs> applied for henchman needed in the local <laughs> Canadian Gazette or something. But Ralph Muller, you will possibly recognise him from Gladiator. He was also in Universal Soldier, The Scorpion King, Cyborg. Sorry, I thought... I thought the film was called Universal Soldier, colon, The Scorpion King. That's a crossover comic waiting to happen. Ah. And this is not too dissimilar to Universal Soldier, so maybe they're just like, who else was... No, can't get Jean-Claude Van Damme. Who else... No, can't get Dolph Lundgren. Who else... Uh, Ralph Muller. Okay, <laughs> we'll go for him. Mm. He's done Universal Soldiering before. And he also appears in Postal and Alone in the Dark 2. So oh, good. We'll look forward to seeing Ralph Muller again. So Uncle Matt's he is caught, he is intercepted sending a secret email to Valerie to arrange a meeting to blow this whole thing wide open because mm. he's not happy about all of these his colleagues mate. being turned into genetically I mean, modified super soldiers. It would, make, it would make you think twice, wouldn't it, if, I don't know, the accounts team was murdered by mutants and HR said, eh, we're just testing out some of the new products. Deal with it. Deal with it. Puts on the sunglasses... Uh, Moses on the way. I mean, Doctor Krieger. He's sort of explained what's going on to SG One, to to his well, to his henchmen, and you know, saying that basically one unarmed, genetically modified soldier could take out ten armed men. Um, no, that is that is ten men armed, not men with ten arms. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> My mutants can take out your ten-armed mutant. Yeah, it's like that whole thing: who would win out of a fight between what is a it, a ten-armed like... man and an eleven-armed man? Yeah. <laughs> well, what no. about a twelve-armed man? No, I was thinking... and he's got three legs. <laughs> I was thinking, who would win in a fight between one man with ten arms and ten men with one arm? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So, so how many men? One. Man. One man with ten arms, yeah. or ten men with one arm. I think the ten men would win because they would they would all approach like um, Daleks, and they all grab. How many hands would go around his neck? Two. I'm I'm demonstrating what strangling looks like to Rory with my own neck. And I think Harry might just asphyxiate himself live. Yeah, two arms on the neck, one fist in the mouth. But it, there's ten arms hitting all these people at the time. Oh, God, yeah. They don't need to get close. How would you... Hmm. One arm would uppercut and one arm down a cut. And... Who are you? The, you're the ten-armed man I'm now that I've transferred to the ten-armed man. Okay. I'll work this out and I'll get back to you. 
Okay. But I'm still pretty confident that 10 one-armed men would have the upper hands because... They have, between them, 20 legs. Yes, a good kicking. And it'd just be terrifying to have this be <laughs> sort of like men obviously in some torment running at you. And where would the arm be? Would it be in their Look, chest? There's, there's plenty of people with only one arm. Yeah, but they're all, her- they're all, they're all terrifying. <laughs> I'm talking about ten men and, like, they've all lost an arm. Oh. I'm not saying it's like an arm growing out of their torso. Well, we're talking about mutants. <laughs> I was I was assuming, but you are right. I'm assuming the person with ten, ten arms wasn't born originally with twenty arms and then lost ten arms. Sure. So I'm assuming there's at least one freak of nature in, in this um, equation. You assume too much. You can tell we're not scientists, I'm sure. Not like Dr. Krieger. Well, we know Dr. Krieger is a sophisticated scientist because he listens to Wagner Mm -hmm. on vinyl and he also paints a lot. I was hoping we'd never see the painting and then we could get a really good... We could pretend. I imagine him drawing like a big blue line for the sky, (laughs) his house... Made some, out of a triangle and a square. Uh, yeah, some, uh, that, this happy fellow is the sun. <laughs> but shall we talk about what he's actually painting later? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had some ideas. Mm. And I kind of thought maybe he was doing a painting of himself. A nice self-portrait. Or like, maybe a very... bad self-portrait. <laughs> what do you think? I thought maybe because he's like a twisted genius, it might be like some kind of biblical reference would come out and maybe he was doing Adam and Eve or maybe he was painting a strand of DNA or something. Mm. But answers will be revealed later on. <laughs> he should, should have said, should have been painting the end and then the last <laughs> shot of the film is he just, just sheepishly turns the, the thing towards the, the, camera. To the camera. The end. <laughs> it's like, whoa, it's breaking the fourth wall. What's going on? Oh. That would have been amazing. Krieger is talking to Don S. Davis, General Briggs, General Stargate, or whatever he is in General that show. Stargate. I don't know. I don't think there's anything to disprove that these three characters are not the same character. So after yes. Twin Peaks, he opens, he goes to the Stargate SG-1 facility, and he's ended up on the rocks um, looking at cut-price mutants at Uerbol's advanced facility. Yeah, he's so he is like a proper military general type person mm. who who's saying, Oh, I see you've you know, hope you put my money to good use. So I don't think it's like it's clearly like the government is supporting mm. Krieger's work. He knows Krieger. Everyone knows Krieger experiments and humans. I mean, and then he fl- Everyone knows the, the general flips his lid when he discovers he's been using the money on Genetic experiments on humans. He no. says you're making a monster. He, his complaint. So he is presented to basically what looks like one of those Prometheus guys. Yes. Big white bastards with impenetrable skin and black eyes. Yes. And Krieger hands the general a gun to test out the bulletproof skin. Which, and he says, don't shoot them in the eyes or mouth. Which I thought at the time was just him being like... Please don't muck it up. Mm. But actually, that seems to be their weak point. I don't grow off trees. I experimented for years and then couldn't get them to blossom. I couldn't make a bulletproof eyeball. Mm. Only bulletproof skin. And so he tests out. But then Krieger reveals that we can't really control them. 
Yeah. And suddenly the yeah the general like flips his lid and is just like what are you I want soldiers I can control mm-hmm. like a bomb <laughs> and no more funding unless you can control them. Well, that's, that sort of logic has never really stopped the Umbrella Corporation from releasing zombies as a, a biological weapon. Well, zombies are kind of they're not the weapon; they're like a side effect pretty hefty side effects. Yeah, I know. It still needs testing. Imagine if guns turned you into zombies. <laughs> so it'll give you one shot of an instant zombification. Yeah, that's why they don't put the T-virus in bullets. Now going back, I mean, to Spy Kids, bizarrely, again, Spy Kids 1 has a scene where an American general goes to a secret facility and has a demonstration and he's really pissed off that the Spy Kids robots wasn't quite what he wanted. So... These generals should stop funding secret experiments. Just go back to things they know and love. But it's funny, at the end of the Spytrid's 3D episode, you did say, let's do a movie which is as far removed from Spy Kids as possible. And, I mean, I I didn't see Spy Kids 2 Island of Lost Dreams, but Mm -hmm. this seems very much like that in terms of (laughs) genetically modified... Super oh my beings. god, this is this is the Spy Kids trilogy wrapped up in, in one film. It's like when you want to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but don't have enough time to watch Willow. It's, um... <laughs> well, well, we'll find out at the end whether you would recommend Far Cry over all three Spy Kids movies yeah. that you watched. Keep listening. Don't touch that dial. So, Krieger, he has taken Uncle Matt's and basically installed... I guess super serum chip mm-hmm. thing. Whatever he, he does stuck to the camera up his brain. Yeah, pretty much. With very convincing, and I'm assuming genuine uh, colonoscopy footage, but in the brain. But maybe he, maybe they actually did put it into the actor's head, and he has got a camera <laughs> still in there. Did every actor read their contract <laughs> completely? They were, it was kind of quite creepy to see that uh, keyhole surgery footage in there. See, there's, there's a few bits I feel we can skip over. We, we yeah. um, Where Jack is docked um, is also populated by two other comedy sitcom characters, Ralph and Paul, who spend the whole film shouting at each other. Our hero, heroine, Val, charters the boat to go to this island. On, on the boat, Val basically explains her connection to Matt's. Yeah, and they have that fishy barbecue. They have the fishy barbecue. Matt's... Um, was apparently in the special forces with Jack. That's how they know each other, and I guess that's why Val enlisted Jack to yeah, transport. Yeah, so a connection. I quite like that. Because otherwise, why would you hire him? Um, he also happens to be actually within boating distance of the island, which kind of is actually, when you think about it, a staggering coincidence. Maybe they both made their way to um he was eaten by a whale but isn't it (laughs) yeah they were in germany they got swallowed by a whale which Mm. like puked them out um pinocchio style Mm -hmm. um after they set fire inside of its mouth dumped them in canada Mm. and that's the kind of migration course of the whales i thought that was just a fairy story (laughs) no it happened pinocchio was real i used to be a wooden boy Oh gosh! <laughs> Someone should make a movie about Pinocchio, like the adult years, played by Till Schweiger. <laughs> played by Till Schweiger. Yeah, and I enjoyed the boating. I mean, I actually like playing Far Cry Three because it reminds me of my honeymoon, <laughs> which was also <laughs> in a sort of tropical island. And so, whenever I'm feeling a little bit like, oh, I miss, 
I miss my honeymoon. I um, what's the name of the island in Far Cry Three? The Rook Islands. I go I to Rook Island for a, a rum punch and some exotic animal murder. <laughs> uh, note: I did not murder any exotic animals on my honeymoon. Val's arranged this meeting with her uncle, but hasn't heard back from him. So. Uh, they have agreed to meet in the woods and Jack drops her off on the shoreline, but she is almost immediately intercepted. They knew she was coming. Girl alert, girl alert. Yeah, so the the kind of, I guess, second in command for Krieger is Chernov, is mm. her name. And she's like the rival girl. Yeah. it's It is fun to have a female badass henchman. But I don't feel she makes much of an impression in this film. I think I'm much more having a lot more fun with uh, Udo Kier. Well, I, I, I shout out to Craig Fairbrass, who hey, plays, Craig, who plays Parker, mm-hmm. who um, British audiences will know him from EastEnders, but oh. he was in Cliffhanger. Not this British audience. He was the one. <laughs> he was the one in Cliffhanger who's kicking Sylvester Sloan in the face, saying, "Oh, look, my." Soccer. Oh my god. But he basically just spends most of his time now in straight-to-video British gangster movies. That's kind mm. of his bread and butter. But there's this interesting... Brown bread and butter. <laughs> we're back in Conjuring 2 again. Brown bread. Dead. Oh yeah! I thought you were just hungry! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I enjoy, I, en- I enjoy the mercenaries in this a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Not too much. Not too much. Just enough to get you through it. But this is the moment where they, one of the mercenaries uses a rocket launcher and blows up the boat, which, as I said, is straight from the game. It's quite fun to have um, him, to, uh, Jack, just sitting on the boat and seeing a rocket flying towards his face. <laughs> and then he, he goes, he um, swims onto land. And then this, it's funny, you, I feel like in other films, there'd be a long time between this shock and the next action sequence. But almost right away, he starts kicking ass and taking names. Um, a chap called Russell comes up onto the beach. A chap, a mercenary called Russell, goes up onto the beach. And he's quickly uh, murderized by uh, Jack. And on the radio, someone's going, Russell, Russell, are you there? And I really wanted Jack to speak in his German accent to say, yes, I'm here. I'm fine. <laughs> it's like, you sound different, Russell. I thought when they were saying Russell, Russell, they were talking about there's something in the forest. Rustling. <laughs> rustling. <laughs> no, no rustling here. Are you being an idiot, Russell? I- is Russell usually an idiot? <laughs> Not this stupid. Uh, yeah, I am now a stupid Russell. <laughs> yeah, call me stupid Russell. <laughs> call me stupid Russell. Well, this actual action sequence did remind me at least of the kind of action that you do have in the Far Cry games I've yeah, played. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote classic Far Cry here, or because Far Cry classic. he kind of, he knocks out the guards, he does a bit of sneaking, does a bit of stealth action. Once he manages to commandeer a vehicle and him and Val make their escape, you get them pursued by jeeps with turrets on the top Mm -hmm. and you do a lot of that in the games there's Mm -hmm, a helicopter mm -hmm. that shows up and you have those attacking in the games so all this stuff is pretty standard for an action film but i think the way this particular kind of chase sequence flows reminds me of how in far cry you might accidentally set off something or you Mm. might alert a guard to your attention and then suddenly it becomes like a huge pursuit 
yeah, the, as part of the, it. the games, even in its earliest iteration, is about how you tackle a problem. So you can go stealth, 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 stealth. That's how many stealths that is um, in Far Cry. Or you can go in guns blazing. Also, this sequence has some genuinely funny humour in it. Even th- You kind of have to give it a gimme because Val is in the car and she s- seems to be the only person in the world who doesn't know what a hand grenade is. She shows him a hand grenade which she's found in the car and goes, what's this? And then she throws it, having not pulled the pin, at the car, which is something I've not seen in an action movie before. And it is genuinely hilarious. Yeah, it completely makes no sense that someone who is a professional journalist mm. and maybe CIA agent. Yeah. She's t- would... she's deep cover if she is because she doesn't turn till yeah. after the credits. Unless she was playing up the fact that she knows nothing about weapons, grenades, anything. But yeah, it's incomprehensible that someone like her would not know what a hand grenade is or how it operates. Mm. It, it does smack of the sort of writing where on the first draft you, you kind of overwrite and can almost write like a radio play. So someone might say, oh, I'm holding a gun. And then you cut that out because you can clearly see them holding a gun. But here they didn't bother cutting that shit out. She drops a, a grenade now with the pin pulled out into a bag of grenades and then throws them underneath the car in pursuit. And again, that's a cool explosion again i just found we've seen a few euro ball movies now and some action sequences are kind of good despite their limitations and some of them are just dreadful but i thought this was a decent action sequence in a movie which did this get a theater release at all i think it got a release in germany okay so yeah i thought this is a decent action sequence and and as it goes on as you say, the helicopter comes into play and she grabs a rifle, which also has some sort of piton gun on it. And it shoots up into the helicopter. The pilot goes, you gotta be shitting me. <laughs> and then the car is dragged off a cliff. And all yeah. the while, this car is on fire. And again, that's an impressive image that I didn't expect. And it didn't seem CGI, that one. There might have been, but I didn't notice it, which makes a change. Yeah, when the helicopter copter is crashing crashing. different story yeah yeah. but i mean to be fair and going back to bond there's been loads of helicopter crashes in a bond film and they're always very obviously models (laughs) so so yeah i was surprised to be genuinely entertained in this action sequence jack and valerie have escaped landed in the water and they make it back to dry land Mm -hmm. but their clothes are very wet, so they find themselves a cabin to hole up in and see... Despite the heat of tropical Canada... Exactly. Been... If the film had been set in a tropical island, we might not have got this magical sequence mm. in this movie. So, basically, they're both trying their... doing their best I am very cold acting. Yeah, I noticed Slash that. maybe putting it on. I don't know what to say. She spends the whole time going, so cold. So cold. I'm so cold. She is still a country mile better at pretending she's cold than Till is. Well, I think that's Jack. So Jack literally just drops this like a lead balloon. Uh, I think I'm getting hypothermia. 
Well, um, that's after telling her that she should probably get out of those wet clothes mm. so she can get warm underneath the blanket. Yeah. She doesn't take off all her wet clothes, though. I was just very conscious how not, they didn't. neither of them took off their wet undercrackers, which uh, seems like it would make you still quite cold and wet. That they've only just met. Mm. She says she'll get undressed as long as he doesn't look, and then he kind of keeps looking a lot. <laughs> So does the camera. And the camera. And then he says, he proclaims he's getting uh, hyperthermia. But yeah, this is where his performance really lets him down, I think. Because I think in another action film with, I don't know. Roger Moore. Roger Moore or like (laughs) vintage uh, Bruce Willis. Sorry, I thought you were going to say vintage Diesel. As in vintage is his full name. (laughs) Vin Diesel's full name is Vintage Diesel. I feel like they would turn the charm and make cheeky, but he just wants to fuck her brains out or something. It's it's, it's very well, creepy. The way he suggests it is first, oh, I'm getting hyperthermia, so I need to get under the blanket with you. And then it'd says funny that... if he genuinely was. He's, he's... <laughs> yeah, she turns over in the morning and sees him and he's like frozen. Uh, yeah, just you to rub his your chair. chest with your hands. <laughs> But no, he explains that in the military, they did this thing called shared body heat. Mm. She says, light spooning. No, we cut open a soldier and hid inside him. (laughs) Yeah, but with a spoon. So we called it spooning anyway. (laughs) They do get close. And then she says, is that your gun? And he says... We don't see the gun. We don't see the gun, but he pulls something out and discards it. Well, yeah, I was expecting... See, it went there, and I thought that was funny. Is that your gun? And I thought he's going to, like Austin Powers or something, pull out from underneath the sheets a gun held by like the tip of the hand on it. He frings off. But no, he, he just... It looks like he just rearranges himself. Like he's, you know, sticks his, he pulls his willy out from between his legs or something. It's like a bit weird. And And then, because being... Very cold and very wet is the ultimate turn on. They start kissing, don't they? Yep, they start making out. It was the gun boner that did it. Being cold is not a turn on. (laughs) Sorry. But now they're warm because they're together. It's the shared body heat. But anyway... um, The morning after. One thing Bond girls don't do is rate James Bond on his sexual prowess. They're walking down the street. Yeah, it's, it's the morning after... They seem completely oblivious to the fact that there's soldiers looking at looking for them. They've got just, that glow. They've got that morning after glow. Mm-hmm. And Jack asks straight up to Val, so how was I? And she very professionally just says, um, where are we headed? <laughs> like she ignores the question. And he thought, well, and we both thought, no, they're not going to return to that. And we return to it. And he says... Uh, you didn't answer the question. How would you rate me? And uh, we were both sat on the edge of our seats because it could go any way. And she gives him... Two out of ten. Out of ten. Thousand. <laughs> <laughs> no, but two out of ten. And I think he's definitely a two out of ten. That's what I want to... I The film... I get, it's traditional in these sort of films where because he's the hero, because he's buff, because he's the ultra man... It's like a joke, and she's like, I'm going to say 2 out of 10, but really I know he's like a 10 out of 10. But no, this film clearly states 
He's he's a bad lay. Yeah, she is steadfast in her assessment. I also wonder whether two out of ten was the score that a lot of people gave Far Cry the movie. <laughs> Maybe. It's like having sex with Jack Carver. <laughs> but no, I mean, I'd love, like, at the end of the film, I think we're talking about this as well. I think it's almost the last line he says, like, <laughs> two out of ten. Yeah. And then I'd love him to go, like, for fucking sake, Jack. You just, it's, it is, you are, you're shit. <laughs> okay? You are shit. So, how was I? Where are we headed? There's a dock by the mill on the other side of the island. We're gonna grab a boat there. I told you, I'm not leaving without Max. I don't start again. We're gonna get a boat and we're gonna leave this island. You didn't answer my question. What do you mean? What do I mean? On a scale from one to ten, how would you rate me? Two. A two. What? <laughs> they, as they're talking about his sexual prowess or lack thereof, um, they bump into a soldier and there's this weird little sexy banter where um, Jack tells the soldier to get undressed and then says, oh, I was talking about Val and... That was a joke yeah. or something. Just kidding. No, you get undressed still. I'm confused. Who's getting undressed? Cut to Jack's undressed, looking very confused. <laughs> and he's tied up. But they sneak into the complex. The enemy base, they say they've commandeered this old mill, which, you know, as their high-tech facility. Cost which a million dollars. Which sounds very much like... Okay, we've got this location. Mm-hmm. We'll just put some old barrels and make it look like a military facility, and we'll just say it's an old mill because mm. it is an old mill. But I'm sure mill showed up in Far Cry. It looked like a generic video game location. Yeah, I suppose. But there's an awful lot of guards milling around, and there's this one bit where Chernov is talking to Parker. Mm-hmm. And then Parker leaves and it looks like he bumps into the wing mirror of a truck as he tries to exit the scene. Yeah. He's, and it's left in there. He's trying to get around the camera, isn't he? Yeah. I, I'm, I, it's, it's hard to make out because it is off screen, but it does seem like they should have gone for another take. Mm, I, well, it just reminded me of me when I'm trying to step over cats on, on my way to the living room and I'm just bumping into doors and knocking over, knocking things off the, the trinket table. <laughs> but that's the professionalism that you only get with an actor who served their time in EastEnders. Val is told to hide between some barrels while Jack goes and investigates. But there seems to be a CCTV camera pointed directly at these random barrels with a dirty <laughs> sheet on top, like full frame. Yeah, because that's clearly the most vital entry mm. exit point of the whole facility. Or maybe it's just a designated hiding area and the people people just always, they just naturally <laughs> hide there. Maybe there was signage to say, good place to hide this way, biochemistry that way. But then uh, a brand new character shows up. Oh boy, howdy, does a character show up. Imagine What wa- a character. Imagine watching... Uh, again, I know I keep returning to like James Bond, but imagine if you're watching one of the Daniel Craig super serious James Bond movies and Roger Rabbit suddenly shows up as a main character. It's not 
too dissimilar to a Sheriff J.W. Pepper or something. But to the nth degree, just where does he just he just tumbles into the film? It's this there's this guy called Emilio. He keeps calling himself the food guy. I guess because he delivers sandwiches to the troops or yeah. something. Apparently, no one goes to this island except for the food guy, who's a loud, filterless, obnoxious. He is a literal buffoon. Yes, he is. <laughs> if you look up buffoon in a dictionary, that would be him. And it, like, if you've got a, if you've got a secret base, he would be the last person you would be getting oh, food from he's because he'd eat the food on the way he's a guaranteed blabbermouth you just know that he's just talking stuff about this facility in the bar when he goes home and he's completely incompetent because the meat cute between jack and emilio is having delivered the food from his boat emilio tucks into a sub sandwich he's like i've been ra- waiting for you been waiting a long time and he deep throats it and almost immediately starts choking to death and it's only through the intervention of jack that he, he saves. He's through the Heimlich manoeuvre or thereabouts. He, I think he just slapped on the back okay. a lot. But my impression of Emilio is that he enters the picture and I felt like with the film, we were doing fine without you. Yes. He's very much like a comic relief character, but, you know, there's the humour we've already encountered before. We've already got the sort of... The car chase humour was fine. The wit, we've got the charm, we've got some gags. We don't need someone to, like, wail and scream and be the Josh Gad from Pitzels of Mm. the piece. It feels like the, the film itself had an aneurysm or something and... This, this, there's this just a pirouetting buffoonish character shouting all the time. I feel like with Far Cry, though, at least in the iterations I've played, that it does kind of make attempts at humour and largely falls flat on its face. There is an annoying character called Herc mm-hmm. who does appear in Far Cry 3 and 4 and I think pretty much all the other later games. And like in Far Cry 4, you meet these weird stoners who make you smoke drugs mm. and make you go into hallucinatory quests and it's meant to be funny. The inclusion of this character, Emilio, in this film is not necessarily against the grain of the Far Cry games, at least in later iterations, but here we are. A weird thing happened, though. The the film seemed to love him so much, and he was just running around while machine gun fire was going above his head. And I just wondered if the film would just murder him, if he would just suddenly catch a a random bullet and die. And I would be like, oh, that's really horrible, because he does seem distressed. Saying that, though, um, at one point, um, he's tied up with Jack, and Dr... Uh, Krieger says, oh, I don't need you. I'm just going to execute you. I think his retort is, oh, no, God damn it. <laughs> if you were told you're going to be executed, you'd be like, oh, no, God damn it. I wasn't expected to be killed today. He said, I was just delivering lunch. I'm the food guy. He says he wants to die quick like a shark or something, which I feel was like an on-the-day ad-lib 
which, um, yeah, they couldn't think of anything better. Or maybe they just couldn't afford the big shark finale. No, that was meta commentary. This is how he should have died. Yeah. They should have all gone float, sw- um, driven their boats into the mouth of a big whale at the end. <laughs> and then the whale winks, goes down underwater. Credits. It would just say fin, which is kind of a fish joke. Revealed on Dr. Krieger's painting. It just turns <laughs> the painting and it says fin. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of boats, though, um, Jack and uh, Emilio quickly scoot off in the boat. And this was another, apart from the screeching Emilio... It was still nice to have a bit of boat action. It reminded me of like the boat chases you get in Live and Let Die and things. But they are caught, as you, as you say, and Krieger uh, speaks to the captive, yeah. Jack and Emilio, and it says, so you are the cause of my recent troubles. I thought he was talking about Emilio. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one who kept on putting mayonnaise in my sandwiches. Kept getting my order wrong. <laughs> yeah, and he just says that like he's keeping Jack because he might as well use him. For testing purposes. For testing purposes. He is the blue liquid put on his experimental uh, feminine product. (laughs) Testing. Testing Uncle Max. Testing Uncle Max. While his niece watches from above. We we see actually Krieger's office has a glass floor so he can see his experiments. Well, he can see, I guess he can see Jack and Emilio playing I Spy. (laughs) To pass the time... Uh, Milo talks about being in dance camp for some unknown reason and then decides to play I Spy in a featureless room. <laughs> it's like a white room. But I guess that's why he says I Spy a mad scientist because mm. he can see Dr. Krieger up through the... Yeah. Oh, I bet, I bet Dr. Krieger felt that. I'm not a mad scientist. I'm a clinically insane. Well, actually, at that point, Valerie does say... Matt's was right. You are a sick egotistical maniac. And he says, oh, let's not go over the top. <laughs> I'm just... Uh, I'm just greedy. Yes, I'm just greedy. I'm just managing an island full of mutants. And uh, he's one of the least eccentric villains we've encountered on the podcast, actually. So maybe we should rank our villains at one point. I think he's very reasonable. Yeah, I mean... He's only doing this because the government is paying in lots of money. Oh, yeah. He doesn't really have, like, a kind of vision to take over the world he explains oh they just pay me i like wagner painting and mutants <laughs> you won't find a more technically advanced facility anywhere in the world max he can't hear you he just finished his treatments he's still coming out of his sedation what have you done to him? Made him a better soldier than he ever was before. Max is right. You're a sick, egotistical maniac. Let's not go over the top. I'm just greedy. You can't imagine how much money the government's paying for research like that. How can you live with yourself? I live uh, fine, thank you. Let's continue the tour. His mutant does have a flaw, though, because it takes one glance of his niece and suddenly Wav wins over and he decides to be good. Yeah. Just that's it. That happens a lot in movies. Happens with Nemesis. Happens in Nemesis. Happens with Max. With Max. We've got another one. Um, Let's say Pokemon. The power of love. Yeah. 
Pikachu tears. Yeah, convinces Mewtwo to not kill mm. everyone. It's a powerful emotion. We're in the Valentine's Day afterglow as we record <laughs> this podcast, and we're talking about Far Cry. That's gone past midnight. This plan to set Max upon Jack and Emilio, the food guy, backfires. And so Dr. Krieger, does he let everyone out? Or no, is that Jack? He, he unleashes GMS 7 and 8. I guess GMS stands for Genetically Modified Soldier. Makes sense. Makes sense as the acronym. Mm, yeah. I, I can't imagine what else it stands for. Some other super bastards, mm-hmm. they come out and they start to attack Jack and Emilio and Mats and it's in this moment where one of these super soldiers mm-hmm. grabs a gun turret and starts shooting up the whole facility mm. and caught in the crossfire in a cameo role Ooh, is I didn't this. celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain who's he again? He hosted stuff like No Reservations and mm-hmm. stuff with the Travel Channel. He was a very outspoken chef who oh, right. committed suicide last oh, year. Dear. But here he is. And I looked up, there's a clip you can see of him on this travel show where I guess he's looking at restaurants in Vancouver and he's like, well, I'm in Vancouver because it's where lots of movies are made mm-hmm. i decided to go on set and on far cry and there's him on set of far cry with uber bowl giving directions he gets squibbed up and he does this little kind of death scene he does a little squib and fall mm-hmm. to the ground but in the clip on of from the tv show he kind of bounces up and gets up immediately after he's shot he does a whole keel back and fall flat on his face was he wearing a lab coat yeah i think i think i noticed he's him. the one in the corner like as the gun charts are when he gets caught what was his name again anthony bourdain shall we dedicate this episode to him i'm sure he would love that yeah i found the mutants makeup actually quite good it's just white but there's this one guy with no eyebrows he's bald he's got black pupils he looked kind of he looked super threatening he he was like richard o'brien a gritty reboot of the ink thief he's (laughs) just like all muscles and he he gives chase he there's a few bits of like kind of parkour where they kind of run at walls so they're meant to be super soldiers and hey they do seem like super soldiers The, the fact that their very skin is bulletproof uh, is a kind of neat thing. Except that they still wear Kevlar jackets and all the squibs go For off. For the squibs, yeah. yeah. For the squibs. They still like, you know, I mean, sure, we could shoot to... them in the arms or we could shoot them in the neck, which is exposed, but no, everyone shoots them flat in the chest. Mm. Well, that's like Robocop again. They never shoot him in the mouth. Yeah, eyes and mouth. Eyes, eyes and, and mouth. mouth. Remember, eyes and mouth. Mm. Eyes and teeth. Eyes and teeth. But this is, again, flipping Emilio's running around. And again, I'm thinking, is he going to get one in the eye or the mouth? Please, the mouth. Shut up, Emilio. <laughs> but he uh, he disappears. And um, Jack is chased into some sort of cutting room through a cutting machine. And he slices um, uh, Beefcake Richard O'Brien in half. So, I mean, I guess it is a timber mill. So... I imagine, I don't know much about timber mm. mill technology, but he manages to activate the bandsaw by using, swiping his hand across a laser beam. Mm. So maybe it's like light breaking laser activated. So log goes yeah. in, saw I, comes I, down. I had that thought. It's like... Man in half. It's like, oh, that's a really rusty buzzsaw. Would it have laser? And I thought, 
Probably. I like the fact that this high-tech facility, which its master agent is a mill, still, I guess, chops logs. It's about a thing, like in, again, we're talking about Austin Powers a lot now, where uh, the legitimate business interests of uh, Dr. Krieger's lumber mill (laughs) is far outstripping his mutant... uh, his mutant production. Yeah, because he's risking his losing all his funding from the government, so he's mm. got to turn to, I don't know... Um... The shareholders, like, when they learn about the mutants, it, the shares just bottom out. Yeah, it's all about loads. Loads, mm. loads, loads. My, my dad, Mr. Logs, <laughs> says he didn't want... He read in his contract, no mutants in his mill. And was he fine when he does a spot visit, a spot check? Mutants! <laughs> Mutants coming out of your ears! Oh dear. We, fi- we find out what Dr. Creeder is painting at this moment. It's yeah. um, kind of expressionistic. Yeah. Cause... But it's covering something. Yeah, so he's been spending all this time painting and he's told Valerie, no, don't look at it, don't look at my painting. Because he's just very slowly painting over, I guess, the genetic code or the secrets to his experimentation. Yeah, it's just a big black mess. Yeah. But I think what makes you giggle is that he seems to be really intently doing it, like he has a purpose, like he's definitely painting something. Well, it was because... he's just doing a literal cover-up. At, at the... Yeah. <laughs> at the start, he was doing... He was just doing light dabs, but now that his facility is compromised, he's just like, swipe, 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 swipe. <laughs> I wish I got a bigger brush. This is I ridiculous. Mean, it'd be kind of like if, like, Van Gogh or something spent ages painting a vase, and then he was just like, oh, shit, sunflowers, I've got to do this in five minutes. He's just <laughs> like, oh, big yellow blobs, oh. I once pissed off my art teacher, though. I... I I didn't really enjoy my art lessons, I guess, because of my art teacher. But I did a hyper detailed um, self portrait, almost a selfie. <laughs> we didn't call it's like uh, the National Selfie Gallery. Yeah, Rembrandt's selfie. Um, I drew a hyper detailed drawing of my face and eyes and nose, but I just did a big smiley semicircle from my mouth, and that really <laughs> annoyed my art teacher. But that's art. That's a new style. Yeah. No one's seen that before. Mm. Yeah, so Krieger basically is trying to escape. By and... his boat. With his painting. Yeah, with his painting. With... I wish I had a tactical nuke to blow up my island, like in Far Cry 1. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, once they escape the island, and it's just like, okay, they're slowly moving away, and I guess the mill is going to explode any... Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not going to explode. No big self-destruct sequence in this film. I mean, Jack bumps into some of the mercenaries who... The, the mercenary starring the EastEnders guy, they turn on Krieger. They don't blindly follow Krieger. And I thought, well, that's quite interesting that they don't just kill the hero because he's the hero. But then some elite <laughs> mercenaries show up who do do the bidding when there's a war of mercenaries. Yeah, there's people with green helmets mm. seem to be ones which are led by Parker and those with black helmets are those who are loyal to Krieger and they're led by Chernov. Parker's like cool with Jack and lets him go, gives him a gun, tells him where to find Krieger but then Chernov shows up and is just like nah I'm gonna kill you Parker and stop Jack. <laughs> I think yeah I mean it's it's actually Compared to some of the other Uwe Boll movies, this mm-hmm. film makes more sense. Yeah, this is actually a logical character arc. 
for um for the mercenaries at least i mean jack just wants one thing he wants to be rated higher than two out of ten in the bedroom he's like a kind of upset uber driver who's got a low rank <laughs> low ranking yeah he's pursuing the person his ride they he eventually catches up with krieger and there's a kind of a mexican standoff the Mexican standoff is interrupted by Uncle Matt's, mm-hmm. takes out a few guards, mm-hmm. and Chernov shoots him square in the eye, and we think, oh no, oh, Matt's is yes. done for. But unfortunately... He's he, not dead yet. He his snaps brain, her neck yeah. just in the nick of time. The last thing he did, with, considering that he has a bullet in the brain and is definitely dead, he's the last gasp, neck break. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then he dies. Has Krieger run off during all this uh, malarkey? Yes. yes yeah. Krieger runs to where he thinks his boat is. The boat's not there. And despite the fact you can probably hear Emilio the food guy from miles away, it is a surprise when he shows up in said boat to pick up our heroes. It would be a nice bit of poetry that... All Krieger really needed as a boat contractor, but his plans have been rendered a ganged leg by a boat contractor slash ex-Special Forces slash out of ten. Slash video game character. Slash video game character. A boat, a boat, my mutants for a boat. Imagine if, like, Jack Carver, the German... It's just actually just a German guy who likes Far Cry so much that he decided to change his name to Jack Carver and wear the shirt and <laughs> charter a boat. He's literally wearing Far Cry merchandise. And cosplay. And he's just like... Yeah. He's just like, wow, this is like just like the game. But this is a weird thing. Um, the last we see of Krieger, who we've not even mentioned... Krieger is the name of the mad scientist in the show Archer as well, which is oh, really? all kinds okay. of funny. But yeah, the last we see of Krieger is just like a, a long, far, a, a wide shot, a faraway shot of him turning around to his uh, creations, sort of saying, please don't. Or, he basically just says, stand back. Stand back. And we don't see him die. Nothing. Which is incredibly surprising. Uh... Yeah, I would say incredibly surprising, like it was maybe a decision to withhold that catharsis from the audience. And it's like, you've had your bloodlust, but we're not going to show you what happens next. Or it was sequel baiting, or it was, we don't know what to do, let's just end the movie. I think we just ran out of time and and just didn't bother. (laughs) They ran out of... Udo Kier had three other movies to shoot that weekend (laughs) somewhere else. But they could have just done the extreme... Wherever he was... They could have just done a close-up of his face going... So, yeah, he doesn't show up. We just leave him on the island. And um, there's a little button. Yeah, it seems like we leave all of our cares and troubles on the island because we are reunited with Jack and Val, I'm guessing, a few weeks later. I was a bit confused. I thought it was right away. Well, they've changed their clothes. I mean, it could even be a day because Mm. basically she says that they can't run the story because it compromises national security. That's that's, that's rather sinister. That's like 2019. And they just kind of fob it off. It's just like, well, yeah, I'll I'll still investigate, still need to get my angle. But, you know, hey-ho. Just wonder, how, how does this compromise national security? Apart from the implication that the military... 
was funding it until they discovered it was unethical. Yeah, that. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, the ethics are that one was, thing. That was the sound of a man who's like, in the past, has had to think: mm, Is it bad I'm funding mutants? No, it's it's the fact that it's national security. The problem isn't with ethics, because as we all know, Krieger experiments on genetically modifying humans all the time. Mm. It's only the fact that if I made a story about it that suddenly other governments will know about our super oh. army soldier schemes and they'll try and do on their own. Mm. That's the thing. This film is not about politics or anything. There's no discourse or hidden message, but it seems the message of the film is, oh, all this experimentation is fine. I was just, my uncle thought it was weird. I was just trying to check it out for him. Turns out what was happening was weird, but we can't reveal it because of national security. Or maybe the newspaper editor thought her story was just boring bullshit (laughs) and told, and just to to soften the blow, said, I would really like to publish this story full of typos, grammatical errors, (laughs) and sex up the story. Yeah, instead of publishing it, it's national security, it's national security. Yeah, go get me pictures of Spider-Man instead. Um, but as well as switching to uh, coffee instead of booze, which he's been swilling throughout the film, um, Jack has also got a brand new boat with a new chef, Emilio the food guy. <laughs> but also on the boat, it's George and his wife, the whale people. Yeah. And um, he sighs and walks off to what I'm assuming, I'm assuming he's off to get a bazooka uh, <laughs> to blow up his boat again with all aboard. Yeah, I'll claim for the insurance again this time. So, um, that's the end of Far Cry. Actually, how much out of 10 would you give this? <laughs> yeah, let's let's rank it on a scale of two. <laughs> again, comparing it to your actual action movies... Comparing it to your John Wicks, I would say I, I did enjoy this film. I, was, I only brought up the comparison because it is still weak source compared to like the bigger Hollywood or, or just, I say Hollywood, but, you know, Hong Kong action cinema, all that stuff. Urbol has made an action movie, but the action stuff, it's, it's got a couple of really good sort of vehicle sequences but like the shooting and stuff it is fairly kind of average but on the whole though compared to his other two films and the other video game movies we've done i thought this was this was kind of light this was kind of fun it was dumb it's a bit it's a beer and pizza movie i suppose and i guess if you've enjoyed the far cry series you could do worse than just have a have a look at this um you get you get you do get vibes of the game in this film it has a distinct Far Cry flavour, as we said, with the with the way the sequences, the action sequences in particular, pan out, and uh, if if you say so, the the plot seems to follow a, a loose but mm. close enough structure to the first game. I feel the, the scope least. of the of the game is a lot bigger though, because yes. it is a game. And yeah. Yes, you can swim between islands and all sorts of things, and this is still very much ground level stuff yeah it takes place in a facility and maybe a mill two or three tracts of road on the whole i would agree i was expecting this to maybe drag a little i was mm. i had hopes that because it's an action film it might have a bit of adrenaline and vigor 
and Vive. But um, to be fair, I was... Didn't feel like a slog. No, it's got a pretty brief running time. Mm Mm-hmm. And it didn't drag at any point, and I fairly enjoyed it. I think it does have... It may not necessarily have the best sense of humour, but it does have a sense of humour, and it kept things fairly light and breezy, and, yeah, the the boat chase, the car chase, those sequences work pretty well. So I think, actually, it's, you know, one of the more enjoyable films that we have watched, not on a kind of... Dead or Alive or yeah. Mortal Kombat level. It's, What's it's... your back, Steven Spielberg? <laughs> as far as, at least in this country, straight-to-video action films go, it's probably not going to rot the boat. Mm. You know, it's fairly standard fare with some, you know, slightly audible choices. But, you know, it was, as as far as it goes, it was pretty competent, fairly entertaining, and... You know, you could do far worse than Far Cry. So, what, five out of ten? Yeah, sure, let's go with that. And I'll say that, yeah, I enjoyed it. was three times as good as the Spy Kids films. I thought you were going to say three times as good as Jack Carver in bed. <laughs> so that would be... Six out of ten. Six out of ten. Gosh, you just you heard me work out basic maths there. <laughs> but yeah, to answer your earlier question, I'll definitely watch this over... Uh, Spy Kids film. I'd rather show my kids this than Spy Kids 3D. So uh, Dumb But Fun is, uh, I guess, the diagnosis <laughs> of a Far Cry. But uh, for our next film, we're going to go too smart, but fun, hopefully, um, because we're doing a bit of a change of pace for our next film. It's a Japanese, it's anime, it's Professor Layton and the Eternal Diva. Um, it's a youth certificate, so it can't be too difficult. Yeah. Surely. Even for dummies like us. Yes. But if any of you dummies out there want to keep in touch with us on Games of Film, how would you do that? Yeah, dum-dums. You can email gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at gamesonfilmpod, Twitter at gamesonfilmpod, soundcloud.com slash gamesonfilmpod. But... To save you all that bother, you can also check out our new website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast, or you can just type in tinyurl.com slash gofpod, and that will send you to our fabulous new homepage, which has all the On links. our web zone. Yeah. <laughs> our web zone. Surf the internet and you'll find us there. Mm. Yes, uh, that has all the information you need about the podcast, contacts, links, ways to get in touch, and ways to support the show as well, because you can purchase items on our Amazon wish list, or you can give us a little donation using coffee. Yeah, I think it's, it's K-O hyphen F-I. That's it. That's it. You can also contact us individually. I'm at Rory Steele on Twitter. I'm at Only Man Who Can. Is there anything you'd like to plug? This audio recording uh, is getting released um, soon, and I'll, I'll be doing some stand-up this week, I think. So just look for Harry Steele Comedy, and you'll find me there. And you can also uh, find me at Gamer Disco doing our monthly video game and music nights in London. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. So check out www.davidlightfootmusic.com for further music offerings. Right, so I'm going to now bone up, kind of trying to increase my IQ. 
Don't mean burn up in that way, you filthy ruffian. I'm talking Sorry, about... I'm just still thinking of Jack Carver in his bed. And his two out of ten... Um... Gun. Gun. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to do some... I'm going to swat up in preparation for Professor Layton. I hope you can join us. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.